0: This is C-SPAN's The Weekly for November 2nd, 2018. I'm Steve Scully in Washington. Tuesday is Election Day and control of both the House and the Senate is at stake. NBC News senior political editor Mark Murray joins C-SPAN to talk about what to look for as the results come in. He also takes a deep dive in a number of key House races across the country that could prove to be bellwethers for what's to come. And he shares his own experiences from past election nights, how NBC prepares for its wall-to-wall coverage. As the polls close throughout the night on Tuesday, Mark Murray, what will you, what will your NBC colleagues
1: be looking for? So when it comes to the battle for control of the Senate, at least how the Senate map is breaking, the Indiana Senate race, one of the very first poll closing times, 7 o'clock Eastern uh, for the entire state. And if you end up having Joe Donnelly, the Democratic incumbent, ahead of Mike Braun, the Republican challenger, you can see how the Senate map at least puts Democrats in contention to have a pretty decent night there on an overall map that really doesn't favor them all that well. When it comes to the House of Representatives, I'm looking in Virginia and New Jersey. It almost as a combined eight competitive House races in those two states that have fairly early poll closing times. And the ones in particular, Virginia 7, where you end up having Republican Congressman Dave Bradd against Democratic challenger Abigail Spamberger also just as many as four in New Jersey. And so by 8.30 or 9, if you tell me that Democrats are ahead in five of those eight, six of those eight, I can tell you that they're going to be on track to winning the House of Representatives. Uh, but all of a sudden, if Republicans are up ahead in six of those eight contests or declared victories, it's going to be tough for Democrats to get to that plus 23. So to me, focusing on those, those two states is important. And then overall, I'm going to be looking in the early rounds of exit polls. And remember, by 7 or 8 o'clock at night, we'll only have about the third uh, wave of exits. But seeing where President Trump's job approval is, if it's at uh, higher than 45%, I think that Republicans could have a pretty decent night. But if it's 45 or lower, then all of a sudden you're seeing how Democrats could have almost a double-digit margin margin. On a uh, uh, lead over House Republicans in the national vote. And so looking at the president's job rating by seven or eight o'clock at night, I think is going to be very instructive for a lot of voters and a lot of Americans paying attention to this.
0: And when people ask the question, who's going to win? My response is, tell me the turnout.
1: Why? Why is that so important? Well, one, I, I actually know what the turnout is going to be. It's going to be historic, unprecedented for a midterm election. But to me, that creates so much uncertainty, because normally in a midterm environment, like in 2006 for Democrats, you have Democrat voters who are showing up, Republicans who aren't. In 2010 and 2014, it was a Republican showing up, but Democrats not. This time around, we know both sides are enthusiastic. Now, Democrats are a little bit more than Republicans, but this is going to be a very unpredictable. And so the way that I'm, my head is set is that this is going to be a choose-your-own-adventure type of election series. I can actually look at all the data that's out there, the Senate, the House, the governor's races, and see how it's going to be a very big night for Democrats. On the other hand, The races are so close that you can end up seeing how Republicans can be able to really end up uh, overperforming a lot of the expectations. And then there's the case on do you end up having just a 50-50 that all the close races, 50 percent of them break to Democrats, 50 percent break to Republicans and not a whole lot ends up changing the normal rules of politics that i've since i've been covering this going back to the 2006 that when there is a unpopular president and you end up having kind of a wave election or the winds uh, that are blowing behind one particular party the close races traditionally break in that party's favor that's the good news scenario for democrats what has to worry them is that maybe this is a little bit of a different environment because of all this high turnout so I think that anything is possible this election season. The Democrats have the wins at their backs, but can they actually translate that to actual wins? And we're going to have to see how the votes uh, cast before we know the answer to that. You were in the control room on election night in November of 2016. What are the lessons, what are the takeaways from what happened on that night? So, and that's a great question, Steve, because as I go back into New York, I have flashbacks and sometimes some PTSD to election night 2016. To me, the biggest miss was from so many of us who are reporters. We talked to both sides, both campaigns, Republicans and Democrats, and the news that we were getting from Republicans inside the Trump campaign and some out was that president, then candidate Donald Trump was not going to win. They were going to fall short. And the expectation we were getting from the Clinton campaign as well as Democrats was that, hey, we're going to be able to win. And when the totality of information, including from Republicans, is one side is probably going to happen, your brain is in a fixed place. Uh, But what I would end up saying is, to me, the biggest lesson and biggest takeaway was that we live in such a divided country where so many contests are very close. And because Hillary Clinton ended up having a four-point lead in the polls doesn't mean that she's going to win the presidential election, how our electoral college is based. In fact, in, at the end of the day, she won by two and a half percentage points and was still able to lose the Electoral College. We live in a country in which the biggest blowout that I've actually seen in the presidential contest was Barack Obama versus John McCain. John, John McCain still got 45 to 46 percent of the vote. There is a floor for any kind of party. And this is what it gives Republicans a fighting shot this midterm season is that We know that if their voters end up just showing up, they're going to be at a certain level in these races. And then all of a sudden, if they catch a break here, there, there, that that actually would keep down Democratic gains. I want to go back to something that you posted on
0: NBC's blog, First Read. In the past week or so of the 2018 campaign, something definitely happened in favor of Democrats at the expense of Republicans. Can you elaborate?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I actually... I kind of am a believer, because we live in such a tightly divided country, that the news environment momentum does end up mattering, particularly to the sliver of undecided voters that are out there. And I'm a big believer that the middle is smaller than it used to be, that there are fewer and fewer undecided voters. But they're still out there, and the people who end up deciding races. And you look at the totality of the news the last week and a half, and whether it was the pipe bombs that were actually delivered to opponents of the president, uh, you end up having the awful massacre what occurred in Pittsburgh. And then on top of it, and probably even more importantly, the way that President Trump ended up handling all of this, is not the environment that, that Republicans wanted to see going into the last final days of the uh, the 2018 election. In 2016, to me, it really strikes out, and I've spent a lot of time going back to those that last two weeks. The news environment was about James Comey. It was about the daily WikiLeaks disclosures. It was about a much-disciplined Donald Trump on the stump. And uh, this is a much different environment where not only are we still in the fallout of those pipe bombs in Pittsburgh, but now you have the president really leaning into immigration, sending out incendiary videos, tweeting at Paul Ryan, disagreeing with him on birthright citizenship. And this is not to say that Republicans might be able to really overperform all the expectations. But this also doesn't look like 2016 to me.
0: And that was remarkable with regard to Paul Ryan. He is the outgoing Republican Speaker of the House, but he is still the Speaker of the House campaigning to maintain a Republican majority
1: in the House. And in fact, he's campaigning for Scott Walker in Wisconsin, who's in a really tight gubernatorial contest. There's a an interesting Senate race that's happening in Wisconsin. And to me, while President Trump has overtaken the Republican Party, there's still a a sizable number of Republican voters who probably agree in more temperament and policy and tone to Paul Ryan than they do uh, President Trump. And so even if it is 15 or 20 percent of Republicans, I often like to call them my Charlie Sykes Republicans, uh, the political commentator who's often on MSNBC. He's a Republican, Wisconsin Republican. He's your Paul Ryan type of Republican. But if you end up having the Paul Ryans going to war with President Trump's own party just a few days before before the midterm election, that's never a good situation.
0: Mark Murray, let's turn our attention to some of these House races that you mentioned, and in particular, Virginia 7. Congressman Dave Bratt, Republican. The ad's now in the D.C. area saying that he is gone Washington. Let's listen to some of those ads and get your reaction.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Abigail Spanberger brags about her security experience. So why does local law enforcement support Dave Brat? Spanberger is silent on the Honduran illegal immigrant caravan because she supports open borders. Spanberger defended the violent gang MS-13 and supports sanctuary cities. And pro-amnesty radicals are pouring millions into Spanberger's campaign. The truth? Abigail Spanberger can't be trusted. And the Chesterfield Fraternal Order of Police
0: knows
1: it. I'm Dave Brat, and I approve this message. I'm Abigail Spanberger and I
0: approve this message. Mason was only 10 years old when he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. He had to learn to test his blood sugar multiple times a day and give himself injections. And it's so expensive that so many families are sharing supplies in order to make ends meet. I feel betrayed by Dave Bratt. That he voted against protections for pre-existing conditions for families like mine. I voted for Dave Bratt once. I will not make that mistake again. I'm voting for Abigail Spanberger. Mark Murray, as you hear those ads
1: on the air in the D.C. market, what's your reaction? My reaction is this is why I love this race, because it basically ends up encapsulating all the themes that we're talking about. Republican and, and President Trump leaning into immigration, as we saw from Dave Bratt in that ad there. Abigail Spanberger talking about health care, as Democrats are across the country. But to me, more importantly, you know, if Someone like Dave Bratt's going to be able to win in this challenging environment. One of the reasons why is just how historically Republican uh, those uh, suburbs right outside of Richmond are. And so, more likely than not, the terrain, particularly for the House of Representatives, is on Republican turf. And so, that is their one strength. The strength for Democrats like Abigail Spamberger is they're the change agents. They're saying that the people who are currently in Washington have not worked. It's time to put someone else in. And Democrats are hoping that that change message plus the political wins at their back allow them to win in some of these tough districts. And so those two forces are at play. And we're going to find out on Election Day which is the bigger force. And your polling indicates what a big issue health care is. That's right. And so healthcare has either been number one or number two uh, in every poll that we've taken, either nationally or in the states. And to me, it's been a really striking development for Democrats because they are leaning into an issue that wasn't all that popular for them in 2010 and 2014. But one of the reasons they're actually doing it is... I've heard from Democratic uh, strategists who are conducting focus groups and they find that talking about the central kind of Trump message, the normal kind of message you would have in a midterm campaign on elect Abigail Spanberger because she'll be a check on President Trump and it's time to actually send a message to him. They'd rather talk about health care because they realize that for parts of their base, millennials and African-Americans and Latinos people actually, their voters get depressed in talking about Donald Trump. So they actually want to turn this to more kitchen issues, talk about policy, really lean into it because they realize it's the one issue that does unify their party. Let's stay in Virginia, just
0: outside of Washington, D.C., Representative Barbara Comstock. Now, her district
1: goes all the way out into Loudoun
0: County. She's being challenged by Jennifer Wexton, one of the most expensive house races in this cycle. Let's listen to these ads and get your perspective. Barbara Comstock might as well be Barbara Trumpstock. Donald Trump is against expanding Medicaid in Virginia, against protections for pre-existing conditions, and he sabotaged the health care market, hiking insurance rates up to 64% in Virginia. Barbara Trumpstock agrees, voting with Trump 98% of the time. Jennifer Wexton believes health care is a right and successfully fought to expand Medicaid in Virginia. I'm Jennifer Wexton and I approve this message because change is coming. Jennifer Wexton is ranked the most left-wing state senator. She opposes deporting criminal alien gang members. She voted
1: against helping victims of domestic violence twice. And as a prosecutor, Wexton repeatedly plea-bargained violent crimes like assault, rape, and molestation. Barbara Comstock is endorsed by Virginia police and passed legislation that is protecting our communities because Barbara puts us first. I'm
0: Barbara Comstock and I approve this message. And Mark Murray, as we listen to those ads, I'm always
1: intrigued as to who comes up with these spots. Uh, Usually really scary people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, again, you know, I mentioned how a lot of Democrats don't want to necessarily talk about Trump and their messaging. Virginia 10 is one of the big exceptions. And because there are so many Democratic voters in this area, remember, this was an area that Ralph Northam in the last year's gubernatorial election won by a landslide. And that is one of the reasons why Barbara Comstock is uh, the big underdog in this race. And the, my conversations I've had with Democrats is that somehow if Comstock ends up winning and Democrat Jennifer Wexon ends up losing, they know this is gonna be a bad night. This is one of the layups for Democrats on election night. And so we should actually kind of look at, you know, if, if they in win handily, Democrats are taking care of business. If they don't win here, they're in trouble. Another race that I'll be looking
0: at early on is in Kentucky, the 6th Congressional District. This is Congressman Andy Barr, Republican. And Amy McGrath has been putting up a pretty aggressive campaign very early on trying to identify who she is. Talk about that race.
1: Yeah. So to me, this is uh, all the strategists that I chat with. This is a pure 50-50 race that's going on right now run by two very good candidates. You know, sometimes you end up having races we're watching where one candidate's good and one candidate is underperforming. Both incumbent Andy Barr, the Republican, and Amy McGrath have run very good campaigns. Amy McGrath has a tremendous amount of money. Benefiting uh, Republicans is this is Kentucky. This is uh, a very conservative area. On the other hand, this is an area that has some Democratic DNA to it. We're talking about Bourbon country, also Lexington by the University of Kentucky. And so this is an opportunity. I'm not going to call this necessarily a bellwether because right now, when I'm looking at the list of Democratic potential pickups, this is number 30 or number 32 for Democrats. This is not number 22, 23, 24 that get them the majority, but it's still a 50 50 race. And to me, that a race like this, that's 50-50, and this is maybe pickup number 30 or 35 for Democrats, is one of the reasons why they're probably in the driver's seat on taking back the House of Representatives, or at least when you look at it race by race. We have been
0: airing debates from across the country, including in Kentucky 6. Let's listen.
2: But if I could just respond to um, uh, what my opponent said about uh, her health care, what's what what she had in tricare is private health insurance it's it the, the reason why she liked it is not because it was socialized medicine but because it was it
1: replicated the employer-provided system. It's like system. the public option. It's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. No, it, it's absolutely not. It, what it is, it's, pri- it's private health insurance. It, the DOD
2: contracts with private insurers like Aetna and United
1: and you know I was actually
0: in the military I would know
2: just a minute here's here's what it is and 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 so you get choices so if you're a DOD employee you and your spouse get a choice you actually get a choice of private health care my opponent wants everybody else in a single-payer system when she gets private health insurance there's a reason why she liked private health her health care because it was a private plan Miss
0: McGrath I just don't think the congressman knows anything about what he's talking about um you know, when I was in the military, uh, we did have a uh, military medicine. But now that I'm out, I do have TRICARE. And you're right, that's a government insurance option. That's like the private, that's that's like the public option. Amy McGrath, the Democratic candidate, and Congressman Andy Barr, Republican, and as you said, Mark Murray, a 50-50 race in 2010. The Democrats lose the House because of Obamacare, and now it's front and center in 2018.
1: Right. And you see that Republicans are really on their heels, like in that debate clip that there was. I do think that Republicans have some one of one of their most effective rebuttals in this entire health care debate is that for candidates who do support the Bernie Sanders Medicare for All, the single payer, the Republicans are running ads saying this is a thirty-two trillion dollar takeover of health care. Democrats want to be able to fundamentally change the healthcare system, and that is a legitimate hit. In this case, however, uh, you end up having Amy McGrath doesn't support the Bernie Sanders Medicare for All. She supports a public option that is a government uh program that would end up competing with other private insurers. But a lot of the advertising that I've seen, they've tried to almost uh, be able to uh, uh, have her, uh, her current health care plan is supporting Bernie Sanders. And so there is some dissembling that's going on. And it comes to the journalists and the fact checkers and everybody to be able to call things out. And you saw how Amy McGrath was talking about how a, a, the, the veterans health care system and the VA is much like a public option.
0: Mark Murray, a number of competitive races in Minnesota, including Minnesota 2. Tell us about that district.
1: This is a suburban district right outside of the Twin Cities, and I'm fascinated by it because it is a female Democrat, Angie Craig, uh, Angie Craig, running against uh, Republican incumbent uh, Lewis. And to me, this is the year of the woman, and if Democrats are able to win... In a suburban district, in a metropolitan area, this is one of the pickups that they should be able to have. Uh, And uh, to me, if they end up winning, they're probably on path to getting the 23 seats that they need to win the majority. But if Republicans are able to uh, to upset uh, the Democrats here and you have the incumbent congressman holding on, then it could end up being a long night. But I almost look at this race. You have the year of the woman, a female candidate. You end up having the entire urban versus rural divide between the Democratic and Republican parties. And to me, more often than not, these districts like Minnesota, too, are probably going to end up fueling the Democratic majority if they end up winning it back some of the ads now on the air in that congressional district.
2: Gone Washington. Definition. A congressman who takes half his money from special interests and puts them first. Example, Jason Lewis. Angie Craig knows we've got to close the book on politics as usual. That means making all campaign contributions open and transparent, toughening the penalties for political corruption. And if Congress doesn't do their job, they don't get paid.
0: I'm Angie Craig, and I approve this message because Washington's got to start working for people again. Disturbing allegations of domestic violence against Congressman Keith Ellison. He goes, Get the f
2: out of my house. And he started trying to drag me off the bed.
0: Now the National Organization for Women is calling for Ellison to end his campaign. But Angie Craig is standing by Keith Ellison, backing Ellison instead of believing his victim? He started trying to drag me off the bed. Angie Craig should be ashamed. Congressional Leadership Fund is responsible for the content of this advertising.
1: You really see how Republicans are leaning into Keith Ellison, the Democratic congressman who's running for state attorney general, making that an issue in all of these races. And you said, Steve. Minnesota is fascinating because you have as many as four competitive congressional districts, two that Democrats are trying to flip, two that Republicans are trying to flip. You have two Senate races that are going on. Uh, you have a competitive gubernatorial election. And so we often refer to Minnesota as the land of a, a 10,000 lakes. Well, there are about 10,000 races that we're going to have to monitor on election night. And that state attorney general race featuring Keith Ellison is one as well. Can you take us behind the curtain and explain exactly
0: what you do on election night and what it's like in New York at NBC headquarters?
1: It is fascinating. It's nerve-wracking. It's so much data that's out there. And so what I end up doing, and I sometimes try to get about a 30 or 40-minute nap uh, right around 1 o'clock in the afternoon if I can to prepare for the all-nighter. But starting around 5 o'clock, we start getting the exit polling data that's out there. And I'm pouring through not only the national exit poll, but the state poll. We have meetings with our election desk people on how they're perceiving the race's then at 5 or 5.30 with the idea that things can always end up changing throughout the night. And then we're just watching the returns and seeing to be able to, one, get a good picture of who's going to potentially control Congress, who is winning these gubernatorial races, and then spotting some really fascinating trends on, for example, we talked about that Minnesota 2 race. Is it really the suburbs and suburban women who are fueling Democrats? Or we end up seeing Republicans staving off and President Trump a whole lot more popular is able to bring and just try to find with the data that we're seeing and how these races are breaking some of the very big storylines. But I'll tell you, Uh, At the NBC political unit, my colleague and I ended up coming out with our our election book. It's a 50-page, 60-page book of all the different races and how the night might play out. And I'm basically going to have my pencil next to my book on checking off races. Did a Republican end up winning this? Did a a Democrat win that? What are the paths to the majority? And then playing out all the math that's involved. And it's going to be crazy. Uh, I'm going to probably look exhausted by 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, And then, of course, we're all going to know that a lot of these races won't be called. The ones, the House races in California, will probably take a couple of weeks. We could very well have a runoff in Georgia in that Georgia gubernatorial election between Republican Brian Kemp and Democrat Stacey Abrams. We would potentially go into overtime in Mississippi in that jungle primary there. So while I think we're all going to be exhausted from NBC and C SPAN and all the other networks covering uh, election. We have about three to another five weeks to go. So we, I'm, I'm going to try to get as much sleep as I can on Friday night because <laughs> I'm not
0: going to get a lot of rest for a while. Make sure the coffee is ready. <laughs> We've been focusing on the House races. I just want to share with you in one of the debates that we covered, the only debate in the New York governor's race, Governor Cuomo seeking reelection, Mark Molinaro, who is the Republican candidate, and again, the issue of President Donald Trump. Let's listen. Mm-hmm. But,
2: sir, I've been in elected office for a very long time. I was in office before you. I was in office before yes, Mr. Trump. you're a lifetime politician, you're, you're, we know. Your private, your private law firm represented Mr. Trump and his real estate interests before state agencies while your father was governor. You accepted $60,000 from Donald Trump and have, haven't returned it. You, when you were trying to make friends with the president when he first came to office, told him you wouldn't run against him. And you, sir, had him at your bachelor party. I didn't. So at the end of the day, sir, I have a long record of committing to help those who are most vulnerable. I grew up on food stamps. Are you stamps. saying you don't support Donald Trump? I'm saying that I'm absolutely committed to the delivery of Do mental health services. you support service. Donald Trump? Let's get out of this conversation. Do you support Donald Trump? I support anyone who is going to effectively Do make an investment. Do you support invest- Donald Trump? Mr. Do you support Donald Trump, Mr. Molinaro, You, you can't have been, answer it. You, you, have uh, you have answered it because your ad on TV says, "I vote conservative for Mark Ma- Molinaro and stand with Donald Trump." Today, so you may as well have said it here. Today, under, under this president and this federal government, America has the most competitive economy in the world, and New York State lags and say behind. I support Donald Trump. I support every and effort. Say just to, tell I the truth. Every effort to ensure. Just say I support Donald Trump. I, I support every effort. To make, that this president wants you to won't invest. say you support okay. the president.
1: Gentlemen, Amazing.
0: gentlemen I, we're going to move on. That's
1: from the New York governor's debate, Mark Murray. Wow. <laughs> uh, and while we talk about how Democratic messaging has been on health care, Republicans talking about immigration. It this this uh, back and forth is a reminder of how President Trump really overshadows everything, even if he's not on the messaging that he is front and center in this election series. This is also a reminder of how how problematic the president is to his party in blue and purple areas. And the reason why I say it's problematic because you end up having if you're a Republican running for governor of New York, you need President Trump's supporters. On the other hand, the math doesn't get you by just solely winning the Republican votes. You need to be able to win the middle. You have to have some crossover help. And by trying not taking, you know, there and that, he he did not take a hard position on Trump, which shows you just how conflicted he is on it. And to me, what I'm seeing right now, and we'll see if things change just a couple of days before the election, is that President Trump is a humongous asset in red states from North Dakota to Missouri, um, even Montana, which you're having a competitive Senate race with John Tester. But on the flip side, Whether you're in New York, and remember, New York's just not New York City. You have upstate New York. uh, There are Republican pockets. But overall, the president isn't popular there. He's not popular in places like Virginia. He's not popular in places like Colorado. And uh, he's probably neutral in places like Nevada and Arizona. And more often than not, in those blue and purple states, the president is problematic. And that is one of the things that Democrats hope breaks in their favor on Election Day.
0: And on Thursday, you wrote President Trump doing everything he can to keep himself at the center of attention, and then outline many of the things we talked about. Paul Ryan, his reference to Keith Rothfuss in Pittsburgh, pre-existing conditions that Republicans will do a better job over Democrats, even though Democrats made that the key element of Obamacare.
1: That's right. So a midterm election is, we always know that historically the president is on the ballot one way or another. Uh... But normally, when we saw this for Barack Obama in two thousand and ten and fourteen and George W. Bush in two thousand and six, that they try to always say, "Oh, I'm trying to localize these races. i want to I'm gonna campaign for my people, but this is about local issues and these local candidates, Here you have President Trump embracing the fact that these midterms are a referendum on him. And it's actually one of the reasons why there is uncertainty. Not only are we seeing so much vote and there's going to be unprecedented turnout, but this is the first time I can ever remember where a president absolutely embraced 100% that this is a referendum on him to get his people to the polls. And so there is some uncertainty because we've never seen a midterm season quite like this before. But the president wants to interject himself front and center in this campaign I think most strategists believe it's not a good idea for that to happen, particularly in places like New York or in Virginia. But we'll see how it plays out. And one final question. A real upset for the Democrats would be what? Again, going back to Virginia 10, if Jennifer Wexton ends up losing against Barbara Comstock, that would be a very big upset. That would be you know, signifying bad news. I also look at places like New York and New Jersey, and if Democrats are underperforming Bob Menendez also in that New Jersey Senate, that to me would be a very bad night for Democrats. And a real upset for the Republicans? So all of a sudden, the, the upset for the Republicans is if we're getting into territory where they might end up losing more than 40 seats, and I'm talking about up in New York State, uh, you end up having some scandal congressmen, uh, you end up having Duncan Hunter in California, Steve King in Iowa 4, and if only one of those three end up losing- Dana Rohrabacher? Dana Rohrabacher, although that's that's always been a 50-50 race. But talking about these Republican seats in firmly Republican territory, and you either have an ethically challenged Republican or someone who's incredibly controversial. And if just one of those three end up losing, then all of a sudden I can see how how Democrats are now on the path to getting more than 35 House seats. And one Senate race I want to draw your attention to, because you came out with a new poll this week, Arizona. And, and again, to me, Arizona is fascinating. I think this is going to be a potential presidential battleground in 2020. It's been very hard, hard fought. But Democrats, if they want to stave off losses and actually break even or maybe pick up one Senate race... They need to win in Arizona and Nevada, and that's very important. So I can tell what a good night would end up being for Democrats, even with a very tough map that they have on the Senate. And if they're winning in Nevada, if they're winning in Arizona and they have Joe Donnelly hold on in Indiana, to me, that's going to be a a very good night for Democrats. Mark Murray of NBC News, senior political director. Thank you very much for stopping by
0: our C-SPAN studios. Thanks, Steve. That was fun. And a reminder, this podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast on the web at cspan.org. We thank you for listening.